Mo Panolti. Hello, my name is Marisol. Welcome to Perspectives from Avia Yala and Beyond, broadcasting to the facilities of Trent Radio. In this bilingual space, we promote our indigenous ways of thinking and living, oriented to community well-being from all over the Avia Yala. This radio show is produced on the traditional territory of the Michisagic peoples of the Anishinaabek Nation. This place is known as Nogojiwanong and is encompassed by Treaty 20 and the Williams Treaty. As an immigrant, I am grateful for the opportunity to be here and I thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. I recognize and deeply appreciate their historic connection to this place. Para las personas que nos están escuchando en países donde se habla español, gracias por sintonizarnos y bienvenidos a este programa de radio que se llama Perspectivas desde Avia Yala y más allá. Mi nombre es Marisol y estoy emitiendo a través de la estructura de Trent Radio, inspirada en la idea de promover la práctica del buen vivir y convivir desde las múltiples perspectivas indígenas que han poblado este continente por miles de años. Este programa está producido en el territorio tradicional del pueblo Michisagig de la nación Anishinaabek, en Nogojiwanong, que está incluido en el Tratado 20 y el Tratado Williams y actualmente es conocido como Peterborough, Canadá. Como inmigrante en este territorio, estoy agradecida con todas las generaciones de personas que han cuidado de este por miles de años y reconozco y aprecio profundamente su conexión con este lugar. Good evening. Welcome to our eighth episode of Perspectives from Avia Yala and Beyond. Tonight, I have three special guests, Professor Escajandone Swamp, his daughter, Yatie Ganare, and his son, Sakore Nawis. They are from Aquasasne, which is a territory of the Mohawk Nation, also called Kanienkehaka. This territory straddles the intersection of international borders between USA and Canada, which, although divided, by an international border, its residents consider themselves to be one community. Kanyankehaka means people of the flint in Mohawk, and it is one of the six nations of the Iraqua Confederacy. Professor Escajandone's name means big field. He is highly respected for his knowledge of Aboriginal languages and cultural traditions. As the chair of indigenous knowledge at Trent University, he has spent many years teaching about indigenous knowledges, cultures, dancing, stories, and traditional teachings. In addition to his fluency in the Mohawk language, Professor Escajandone also understands Oneida, Cayuga, and Onondaga, and can read Seneca. He's passionate about preserving and passing his traditions on. He explained me that her daughter's name, Yatie Ganare, means she looks ahead, and his son's name, Sakorenawis, means he gives them the songs. Today, we are going to listen to them singing and explaining to us the teachings behind the traditional practice of singing and dancing. Buenas noches, y bienvenidos a nuestro octavo episodio de Perspectivas desde Apiayala y más allá. Esta noche tengo tres invitados especiales, el profesor Escajandone Swamp, su hija Yatie Ganare y su hijo Sakero Nawis. Su familia es del territorio de Aquasasne, que es parte de la nación Mohawk, también llamada Kanienkehaka. 
Este territorio se extiende a ambos lados de la intersección de las fronteras internacionales entre Estados Unidos y Canadá. Y aunque está dividido por una frontera internacional, sus residentes se consideran una sola comunidad. Kanienkehaka significa gente del pedernal en Mohawk y es una de las seis naciones de la Confederación Iraqua. El nombre del profesor Escajandone significa gran campo. Él es muy respetado en la comunidad por sus conocimientos de las lenguas indígenas y sus tradiciones culturales. Como catedrático de conocimientos indígenas en la Universidad de Trent, aquí en Canadá, ha pasado muchos años enseñando sobre los conocimientos, culturas, bailes, historias y enseñanzas tradicionales indígenas. Además de su fluidez en el idioma Mohawk, el profesor Esquejandone también comprende Oneida, Cayuga y Onondanga, y puede leer Seneca. Él es un apasionado de preservar y transmitir sus tradiciones. El profesor Esquejandone me explicó que el nombre de su hija, Yatieganare, significa ella mira hacia adelante, y que el nombre de su hijo, Sakorenawis, significa él les da las canciones. Hoy los vamos a escuchar cantar y explicarnos las enseñanzas detrás de la práctica tradicional del canto y del baile. Professor Skehandone Swamp, thank you so much for accepting to have this conversation with us here in Perspectives from Abiyala. I would like to start by asking you if you can kindly please introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you and uh, what are we going to be talking about today? Good morning, Marisol. Um, my name is Skandone uh, Swamp. My name means uh, big field. I am from the Wolf Clan family um, within the Mohawk Nation. Um, I was born and raised in uh, the community of Akwazasne, and uh, I currently reside on the Six Nations territory. Um, I'm accompanied here um, by my son, uh, Sibyl Anavis. He's uh, 16 years old, and he's going to be uh, helping me um, share some, uh, some of the singing today that I would like to share with you. So for today, um, in thinking about what I would like to share with you all today, um, I just want to share with you a piece of, uh, of one of our traditional uh, speeches that is within our naming ceremony. So when I received my name of Skahandone when I was a baby, there are words that are, are put through, and I won't share the whole speech with you, but there's a certain part in there. Um, it says, so the translation of this uh, part of the naming speech is um, we do not know what special gift or talent has been bestowed upon this new being as they have come to be born to this earth. And they address then at that point, the people who are there witnessing the ceremony and listening to the words, that they put the responsibility on them that when these special gifts and talents begin to become um, revealed 
that it is the responsibility of the people there witnessing the ceremony to nurture these gifts. So in, in my case, when I was a little baby and I started to grow up, at a very young age, I demonstrated um, an ability to acquire our, um, our songs and dances. So at a very young age, it was recognized by the older singers uh, to be able to, uh, to, to nurture that singer in me. And so as, as a young boy, I remember being sat on the laps of the lead singers and I, I was taken to the middle of the longhouse and I sat with them all, basically all of my life. Yeah, so, um, so I'd like to uh, direct my words now um, to, my, to my introducing my son, Sibyl Inouye. His name means he gives them the songs and it is a very appropriate song for him as at a very young age, he too has demonstrated uh, a really uh, great ability at being uh, a singer of our uh, sacred ceremonial and social dance songs. And so his name, um, he gives them the songs is something that he's been, been doing for, for several years now. And that is why I asked him to accompany me today. I would like to ask you a little bit about um, the sacred aspects of of singing and dancing in the Haudenosaunee culture. How are they intertwined with the words that you're singing, with the music that is happening, with the dancing, the movement of the bodies? How does is that understood by the Haudenosaunee people? So within our culture, we have what is called Adunhits uh, uh, translates into our internal fire, our life force. Um, it is this, uh, this, this uh, life spirit, this fire that grows within all living things. When we are um, in a state of uh, sadness or uh, depressed or um, in, a, in a state of mourning and grieving, um, our fire tends to be going out. And what our ceremonies do in our dances is it uplifts this fire and it helps it to burn brighter. Our, our ceremony, we have many ceremonies that are dedicated to uplifting this spirit and making this fire burn bright. Um, we have ceremonial dances uh, and songs. Um, I feel we, re we are very fortunate as a people uh, that despite all of the, the colonialism that we have endured uh, throughout the many centuries we've been in contact with um, the um, European peoples and non-Indigenous peoples, that we have still held on to so much. And we've been able to, to hang on to our ceremonies, um, our ceremonial songs and dances, uh, but we've also been able to hang on to our, our social dance songs, what we call in our language, Now that translates into songs of the earth. These set of songs are meant for our use as people um, here on this earth. And 
they are really a reflection of our interactions with the natural world. So we do songs in celebration of um, the natural events within the environment. Um, our social dance songs or our earth songs, songs of the earth, are um, like a lot of them are based upon these interactions and we imitate um, the way we interact with say the robin or the way the robin dances and uh, looks for its food. Um, the way the fish are, uh, are swimming in the waters, you know, our dances imitate these motions that we have observed in nature. And so um, that's what I would like to share with all of you today. So in our territories across uh, um the territory of the Longhouse people, we have these dances. Um, we do them um, we do them outside, we do them within our longhouses, we do them at community events and community halls, and just, there's really no uh, restriction on where we, we do these uh, specific dances. Um, it's more about bringing the people together and uh, having a good time and having fun and just uh, spending time with each other. And so, when we gather um, in our territories, we mostly just call them social dances uh, because that's what we're doing. We're just socializing, we are visiting, and we are just strengthening our society. And so when we do these dances, we're just coming together and we are, we are just having fun. And so when we do these dances and we gather for these dances, traditionally, the first dance that we would, we would um, participate in is what we call the Wadatsulodo, or the standing quiver dance. Within our communities, we mostly just call it the stomp dance. And, and it's really based upon how it is done. It's basically uh, just kind of a one, one step, like a, a one step dance, and we kind of follow the leader in a way. Um, so where this dance uh, originates from is in our times of um, the communal hunt. Mm. So they talk about how in the past when we relied uh, solely on the natural environment for our sustenance that in the when the leaves on the tree of the, the logmi or the sumac would begin to turn red and the trees um, the leaves on the trees would start to change color it was an indication to our people that it was now time to go hunting for the big game animals like the deer and the bear and the moose and so they would organize a hunting party and the men would come forward and they would volunteer to go out for several weeks at a time to, to go and hunt these big game animals. And it was a relationship that we shared with the, the celestial, um, the, the constellations, uh, one in particular that we called the, the Okwali Goa or the Big Bear constellation or the Big Dipper. And, um, when we would we would observe these things happening in nature, it would tell us that it was time for us to do certain things within within the natural environment um, that was done in a natural and respectful way. So we would gather together and they would organize this hunting party and as they departed, they would gather in a, a clearing in the woods and they would um, 
the way I, I, I was told to me was that they would take uh, an arrow out of their quiver and for each one of the dancers or the, the hunters that would go out, they would place an arrow into the ground and it would indicate how many went out on the hunting party. And so as they began to circle around, the lead singer would would say like, uh, I don't know, know exactly what to call it, but he would, he, would, he would call out a song and the rest of the, the hunters would, would reply. And so you have this call and answer within the singing of it. And so they would go out and they would circle around these, these standing arrows and they would be all um, honoring the things that they would go and take out on this hunt. And so as they went around, um, there would be this call and answer and then they would go into the woods on the hunt. And the indication, what they would look for um, to let them know that it was time to return was when they would see the, the Ladina Guada La Constellation or the Seven Dancers, um, also known as the Pleiades Constellation. Um, when it was directly overhead, it was now a significant, it now signified that it was time to return home with all of the big game um, animals that they had, uh, that they were able to to um, to hunt and bring that back to to spread out to the community, and we would begin celebrating our midwinter ceremonies, which are our New Year celebrations. So um, today, uh, what I would like uh, to do is to share these um, a few of these songs with all of you today, and so I'm going to be. Accompanied by my son here, Sago and Ice, and we're going we're gonna to sing this for you. Oh, 
So when I, when Sugal and Ice was born, I was uh, working for um, um, the Gahaga Nation Council of Chiefs 
And um, I was immersed in our traditional uh, music at that time. And I was uh, studying uh, various uh, ceremonial speeches and protocols and uh, every day, all day long, um, we, both my wife and I, we would be driving in our cars. Wherever we went, we were surrounded by um, our traditional ways and our music. So even within the womb, my son was exposed to all of this music. And his older, his oldest sister, uh, Yeti Adamale, um, she's a singer as well. And uh, when she was little, she didn't want to listen to anything but what she called yo-yo way music. She's like, put on yo-yo way music. Everything was yo-yo way. And so to answer your question, I would say that um, basically immersing your children in this life um, right from their very beginning um, is what helps to, to nurture that right from the get-go. And it's to, to refer back to um, the speech that I had um, mentioned earlier about recognizing these special gifts and talents within these children and nurturing that gift. Um, it was done for myself um, and it was done for, um, I, would, I would say um, many of the singers that I know of uh, today, it's been something that has been nurtured throughout our lives. So Sugal and I is 16 years old, and basically for 16 years of his life, this gift has been nurtured. And because of what I was doing at that time is how he, he ended up getting his name, and he grew into that name. So right as a young, um, a little baby, he was always holding a rattle. Um, he was always getting into my rattle bag, and he was always getting into my drums. And, you know, he, he really showed that he had this... Um, this desire to to learn these things and always be singing and, and it's like that it continues on today uh he gets home from school and he's singing all afternoon um he sings in the morning he sings in the shower uh you know he's just always constantly singing he's riding around with his buddies and they're constantly singing together so um, even his peers he's surrounded by uh, a bunch of young men that are all in that same um, frame of mind where they are learning these um, ceremonial songs and uh, social dance songs and just any excuse to sing, that's what they've been doing. And throughout this uh, quarantine periods and lockdowns, um, that's what has helped these uh, young people to, to get through this time is, you know, just singing and dancing. Uh, so you see it on online, there um, there's things called uh, quarantine social dances, um, quarantine smoke dance specials, and it's these young people really just uh, putting their gifts and talents out there, um, not necessarily to give themselves a pat on the shoulder, but it's more about that they are are just making themselves feel good. Uh, through the use of our traditional songs and dances and sharing that with each other. It's, it's, it's really their new way of spending time together uh, because uh, traditionally we have things within our um, communities that we gather, we would gather and um, uh, ceremonially and socially. And it's something that we are unable to do at the present time. So the songs and dances have really, um, help keep that spirit 
fire burning within all of the young people in our communities. And they go online and they share these things. And it's uplifting to the older ones. It's uplifting to the younger ones because everybody is in need of, of that, you know, that wood that they can put in that fire to help rouse their spirits up to help get through each and every day in a positive way and still be able to smile at the end of the day. So. In terms of creativity, so yeah, how, how is this, is this practice um, followed on by, by in, in generations, keeping the spirit, but including creativity in it? How does that work? Within our, uh, Within these sets of songs of what we call there are approximately about 20 dances. And throughout our history as a people, uh, some of these dances, um, they, they derive from the earth, from, from um, at some time in our distant past, uh, somebody had made these songs in celebration of something that was that they felt at that time. And it has survived throughout the generations and has been passed on um, from our older generations to our younger generations. And at certain times of our history, we've been in contact with other peoples. And as a result, we've also adopted some of the dances of our neighboring nations. And so there is a flexibility that existed within our dances um we call them borrowed dances and um in some occasions when we are doing them we will remove our hat in honor of those people from which it came from um and we've also um like different longhouses have uh, adopted uh different um dances from other nations uh for instance um when uh, Tom Porter uh, married his, uh, his, his wife from the Choctaw Nation, um, within my longhouse, when I was a child, there were some dances that got brought in from the Choctaws that were performed in our longhouse when I was young. Um, they no longer do them anymore, but um, you know, there's, there's a little bit of uh, room that has occurred within that. And um, we, we still acknowledge these things um, and they all become part of our, I guess, uh, our bag of songs. And occasionally, you know, uh, one of these dances will be performed. And I don't really like to use that word perform because it implies like a theater aspect, but it's, it's not really a performance. It's, it's participatory. You know, everybody is encouraged to participate and are invited to take part in it uh, rather than be like a performance. Um, so we do have flexibility in that way. And uh, one particular dance that I would like to, um, to point out right now uh, in relation to that is uh, something that we call um, which is the uh, New Women Shuffle Dance, or uh, it's more widely known as our territories. And, uh, so many, many decades ago, our older, um, our older singers and um, elders had uh, had seen, I guess, the 
the effect of our people being uh, scattered throughout different territories. And so what they began doing is what we call um, Confederacy Sings, where all of our territories would gather together and they would uh, sing all day. And what they began doing was they began composing brand new songs in honor of the women. So since I believe the 1930s uh, or so, um, twice a year, our people would gather for these Confederacy Sings around the time of Easter and the American Thanksgiving holiday. Not necessarily for the purpose of celebrating those times or those holidays, but um, more about, it, it was more in relation to that was when our people had time off of work and could travel the distances uh, between the different communities. And uh, what they would do is they would uh, create seven brand new songs in honor of the women. And so when you have multiple different communities coming together, creating seven songs twice a year, you know, there's countless number of songs that are out there in honor of women. And so I just want to take some time now to uh, share some of these songs. Um, Thank you. And be accompanied uh, by my son here. Um, he knows way, way, way more songs than me when it comes to this because that's what, that's what they practice all the time. Um, me, I just know a few. I mean, I know I know quite a bit from like a certain uh, a certain time period of when I was uh, immersing myself in these songs. But um, these these young people have really um, have really continued on this tradition of uh, of singing. Okay, so um, at this time, uh, before I begin singing, I would like to uh, uh, introduce my eldest daughter, uh, Yetbia Ganale. Uh, she is going to be joining us in singing these songs um, that we do called the Eskanya Gainase, which is in honor of all uh, women and female life in the world.
you, the three of you, what is the role of humor in, in this practice of singing? How important it is to be able to laugh as a family while you guys are creating this art and this, and this way of knowledge? Um, well, for me, um, there's always a bit of humor in, in a lot of um, our ways, even ceremonially when we are uh, doing our ceremonial um, celebrations or singing. There's always some um, poking fun at each other and that kind of thing. Uh, I tend to be more on the serious side um, and that really, you know, there's a whole story along um, that, that accompanies that. But for myself, uh, you know, occasionally I may poke fun. Uh, like when a singer, my, uh, like a young singer, uh, just kind of recalling back to when I was like 14, lead, um, leading a song and all of a sudden my voice cracks because that's what happens at that time in your life. And, you know, everybody's laughing at you and it's not something to get discouraged by. Um, it's just all in fun. And uh, occasionally even a, a grown man will begin singing and his voice will crack and, you know, everybody will just go, it's just, just you know it's all in, it's all in good fun and good humor and um it's it's all really about that fire within us and making that fire burn bright and um laughter is a big part of that as well so i think that it's important to sing because you can really express yourself and what you're feeling and your emotions and it's like not always serious you can sing whatever and you get to share that with a bunch of people and you get to uplift people's spirits sometimes, you know, you really touch people and you, <laughs> you really get to show people how you're feeling and then they can feel it themselves as well. And I just, I like putting a smile on people's faces and when they hear me sing, they always come up to me and they always say, oh, like you did a really great job and I loved hearing you sing. And I said, I love the same for everybody and not just myself. And it's, it's just something that I like to do to show how I'm feeling and help people out if they need it. And I just like to make people feel happy and feel the way I feel. Just in, in, um, in relation to uh, something you had said earlier, um, I guess this would be, uh, what I would say to those young people who may feel discouraged in learning their, their own traditions. Um, I would just encourage you all not to look down upon your traditional ways, your indigenous knowledges, your indigenous ways. Don't ever believe that it makes you uh, feel like you are poor because you are so much richer by having your culture and your languages. And I just really want to to say that um, as some words of encouragement, what we call Gahra Jalutso. Just to finish, uh, I wanted to ask you this last question about the future, about what are you, like how is this practice of singing and dancing, do you see in the, how do you see in the future um, influencing the, the way in which we live? and the way in which uh, our communities um, practice well-being. Uh, how is it that it is being something that we have been done for many generations and, and, 
And with all this technology happening and tablets and internet and all of that, how do you see this practice continuing in the future? So um, to answer your question, um, I want to share uh, with you a teaching of uh, what we call um, the teaching of the seven generations. Um, when we think about what we are doing now, we should always be mindful of the impact it will have on the future. Uh, to the faces yet unborn. Uh, we have what we call um, the faces who are yet unborn. Um, everything that we do today will have an impact on those children of tomorrow. And these will be our great, 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 great grandchildren. Now, I'm, I'm reminded of a story um, of another one of our dances now, this is uh, about the story of the passenger pigeon, which is Olibe. Now, the passenger pigeon, the last one died in captivity at the Philadelphia Zoo in uh, 1913. They talk about how the passenger pigeons used to be so um, numerous that they would blacken out the sun when they flew across the sky millions and millions of them would be flying together. And when you see something like that, you, you tend to, to see, well, there are so many of them, they'll always be here. And there's a story related to when even our own people, you know, we're, we're always taught to not ever take more than we need. And there was a time when um, it was so easily, they talked about how it was so easy to hunt them and to harvest them that they would them out of the sky as they flew across. And they would uh, topple over trees when they landed upon them. And uh, there's a story that we have that talks about how our people um, on this one, this one hunt had taken many, many lives. And there was a big pile of all of these passenger pigeons. And all of a sudden, this white passenger pigeon flew down from among all of those um, passenger pigeons flying in the sky. And to their surprise, it began to speak to them. And it began to share with the people at that time that what they were doing was exploiting the lives of the passenger pigeon. And they, the, the leader of the passenger pigeons came down to, to give a warning to to the people at that time that they needed to be mindful of the lives of, that they were taking of the passenger pigeons and that they had been given the instruction that they were going to become a sustenance for the people for future generations to come. But that what we, what our people were doing at that time was abusing that gift that was given to us. And so what this leader of the passenger pigeon shared that day was he told them that I'm going to give you the stance and you are going to be mindful of our of the lives that you're taking and you are no longer going to exploit abuse, abuse us and take more than you need and he reminded them of why were a food sustenance to the people for their well-being and 
at that time he he flew up into the sky and the the passenger pigeons began singing these songs and they began to circle around in the sky and it was at that time that our people learned these songs and so even though the passenger pigeon is now extinct we still continue to practice the singing of this dance within our social dances to remind us to be thankful and to always be thinking of the future that everything that we do in in this lifetime at the present time will have an impact and so as long as we and as long as we continue to dance we will always have our our way of life what we call so we have teachings of our past that has an impact on our present time and how we move into the future. So for the chair today, we'd like to sing a few of these songs of the Oli De Neha, or the Passenger Pigeon Nets. Hey, 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 hey,
listening. If you would like to contact us to find out more about our guests and the topics discussed in this show, please do so through our Facebook page Perspectives from Abya Yala and Beyond or via email 
to perspectivestrendradio.gmail.com Gracias por escucharnos. Para contactarse con nosotros o encontrar más información acerca de nuestros invitados y los temas del programa, por favor síganos en nuestra página de Facebook Perspectivas desde Avialala y más allá o por email a programaperspectivastrend.com Masekwali Yowali, Makwali Oktli, Klasoh Kamati.